Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Uh, good to be back. Exciting. Thanks for coming. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to pray. And then we will jump into our Bible study time. Two feet at a time. Two feet. Crazy time tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, just the opportunity to meet. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your presence here among us. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, empower us, pray your revelation over us. We ask God that you would bring change into our minds and change into our spirit, to our heart, to our soul. I just pray, Father, that we would experience you tonight. We want to know you more. We want to love you more. I want to hear from you more. I want you to have more of your way in and through our lives. We give you thanks for this opportunity to meet. We ask God with you. We ask that you'd have your way. We yield ourselves. We purposely yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit tonight. And say, have your way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Mark 8, if you need a Bible, located on the tables, feel free to help yourself to one. Mark chapter 8. need a volunteer to read Mark chapter 8 and verse 4. Mark 8, 4. Yes, thank you for reading that. All right, so this, uh, what's happening here, just to give you a little bit of background on it, what's going on is that they are about to uh, feed the 4,000. Uh, they'd already fed the 5,000. There are two different mass feedings in the Bible. And so this is the second one. And so what had happened was is that Jesus had taught and was doing whatever Jesus kind of things that he does. And so big crowds gathered, and they were there to hear him. And he was located, though, in a kind of remote, lonely place. And so because they were so far away from everything, there wasn't really anything to eat. And recognizing that the people were hungry, saying, okay, well, we need to feed these people. And so the disciples, both times, and this is what struck me about this, this is why I'm teaching on this verse, both times the disciples were like, well, how in the world are we going to feed all of these people in this remote place? And so then Jesus performed a miracle. Okay, so think about that. So this had already happened. This has already happened. Once before, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And so what they had seen, the disciples had seen this before. They got a lot of people, remote place. You got Jesus, you got the crowd, and you got them. You got hungry people. How in the world are we going to feed all these people? And so it turned out they had five loaves and two fish the first time. And so what, what does Jesus do? He blesses it, they break it, and they pass it out. They have people sit in groups or whatever they did, and they pass it out, and everybody was fed and was full, and there were even leftovers. It was miraculous. A miracle took place right there. Disciples were there for that. They saw that. They witnessed it happen. They witnessed the whole thing. They knew how many loaves there were. They knew how many fish there were. And they watched Jesus bless it. And they were the ones that actually passed it out. And then they were the ones that collected all the leftovers. So the baskets and baskets of leftovers that were, that were left over after the mass feeding, the miraculous feeding... They were a part of both sides of that. They were a part of the feeding side of it, and they were a part of collecting the leftover side of it. They saw the whole thing. All right? So, all right, so think, just hold that in your head for just a second. Just hold that in your head. So, later on, this is later in, in the story, okay? They're with Jesus, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And this big group of people followed him out there. And they were, the, Jesus was doing Jesus kind of things, you know, teaching, preaching, whatever he's doing. 
And they're all fascinated. So they're out in the middle of nowhere listening to Jesus. And it got late in the day. And it looked, they're looking around and say, Jesus is like, well, we need to feed these people. Right? Now, what do they say in this verse? This is why I picked this verse. What do they say in this verse? How in the world are we ever going to feed all these people? How is it ever going to happen? You following me? Now, these are the same guys that, ju- that they had seen this happen before. They'd been in this exact circumstance. Except for there were more people and fewer resources the first time. They had less people this time and more resources to draw from than they had the first time. And they still couldn't cipher out how in the world are we going to feed all these people. You see anything wrong with that? Does that kind of strike you as funny? Because that struck me as funny. And the reason that struck me as funny is because they'd already seen it happen. They'd already participated in it happening. They were just the hands and the feet that took that food to that mass of people. They watched Jesus bless it. They watched it multiply right in front of them. And then they collected all the scraps and the leftovers, the baskets of leftovers, after they were done eating. They saw a miraculous, miraculous provision of food for a crowd in the middle of nowhere. And so they find themselves in the exact same situation, fewer people, more resources, and can't figure out what needs to happen. What are we ever going to do? Now, and I know that sounds silly, and it does. I'm making it sound silly, a little bit silly. And I hope you can hear that in my voice. I'm trying to to get you to think about this in in those kind of terms, that that is kind of silly, right? They already knew Jesus does miracles. They've been watching him do miracles. They've been watching him heal the sick. They've been watching him doing deliverance. They've been watching him. I mean, he raises the dead. He produces wine out of water. I mean, they're seeing the miracles. And not only were they seeing miracles in general, in other words, all of these miracles, all of these things happening, people that couldn't walk or walking, people that couldn't see or seeing, people that couldn't hear or hearing, people that couldn't talk or talking, people that had fevers, fevers gone. People couldn't stand up straight, they're standing up straight. I mean, all these things are happening. All around them, they're seeing all these miracles. Not only are they seeing all of those kind of miracles, they had seen specifically, specifically a miracle take place that applied directly to the situation they were in, but they could not, could not think of that. And that just strikes me as kind of a people thing to do. People do people kind of things. And and the reason that you read about stuff like that in the Bible, and I I really want you to kind of hold on to this for a second, the disciples, or or some version of the disciples, the ones that wrote the New Testament, they could have left this out so they didn't make themselves look so dumb. Okay? They could have. But they didn't. This is in there for a reason. You know those times when Jesus looked at them and said, are you so dull? They could have left those out. I mean, they had, they had some editorial control over what actually made it in. Because they were doing the writing. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, John's a perfect example of that as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you're writing the book, you might as well make yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? So, so he had a certain amount of editorial control over what he wrote. And so they could have left this stuff out, but they didn't leave this stuff out. Because there's something about this that has a lesson for us. Because they looked at that, and they looked at the situation, and I'm sure at some point they recognized the fact, hey, we've seen this before. Hey, we know how this goes. We've been a part of this before. We've been a part of feeding a big crowd of people. We've been a part of, of seeing how this happens. We've been a part of that. So at some point, they probably recognized that, and they could have left this out of the account, but they didn't leave this out of the account for us. There's a reason. And, and so as I was reading this, you know, there's a couple of things that, that really 
stuck out to me. One, <clears throat> Jesus, when He called people, He didn't che check their bank accounts. Right? He doesn't check your bank account when He calls you. He just calls. He doesn't care if you're poor. He doesn't care if you're rich. He doesn't care if you're powerful. He doesn't care if you're not powerful. He doesn't care about any of those things. In fact, you see throughout the Scriptures that He encourages the poorest among the people of His day with nothing to give to come to Him. That's who He encourages. they got nothing. But that's who He wants. And, and any time the devil lies to you about that, and I want you to, to really take this into consideration in your thinking, any time the devil lies to you, like, well, what do you have to give? That's a lie. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He didn't call you for what you're going to give Him. He has everything He'll ever need, ever want. He has all the resources in all the universe. He doesn't need what you got. He, he's looking for you. And, and when He looks for you, right, and that response, that response has to do with Him calling you, not what you have. And so that lie of the devil, and I don't know if you've ever had this lie come over you. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. But that lie of the devil is, well, what can you offer? Who cares? What can you give? That's not really the question. Well, what, what do you have that you can add to the kingdom? You know, those type questions are just lies. Those type questions are to paralyze you. Those type questions are to make you feel like that you're nobody, you're nothing, and you can never do anything, and so why even bother? Those are the type of questions that the devil will pose to you to get you to give up. And yet you see throughout the New Testament, you see throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus and Him calling people. Who's He calling? He's calling people that really don't have anything. He's calling people that in the current state of affairs that they're coming out of, they're not really going to do much to help the kingdom right then. He's calling people that were uneducated. He's calling people that were not rich, not powerful. They didn't really have much to offer at all. But those are the people He calls. And both of these scenes that you see, both these scenes that you see, are examples of groups of people, like 5,000 people, 4,000 people, that he's ministering to that don't have their own means. In other words, they didn't, they didn't bring their picnic lunches. They didn't, they didn't have their servants you know, cart over some food for them. They didn't have any. They are the servants. They are the people with nothing. They are the people that, that just came in faith. They are the people that just came without anything in their pockets. They were the ones. And they were the ones he called. They were the ones that he was calling. They were the ones that he was going to use to change the world. Those are the people. But as they stood before him, the 5,000, the 4,000 that stood before him, they had nothing. They had nothing to offer, nothing to give. When they, when they asked the question, by what source or supply, how can we satisfy or fill all these people? That was really the question. By what source or what supply? In other words, not me. I don't have it. I don't have the source. I'm not the source, and I don't have the supply. And that's what the disciples were telling Jesus, that we don't have this in and of ourselves. This is not something that we own. This is not something that we're carrying. This is not something that is a part of who we are. And that was what they were thinking. They were thinking, it's like, what do I have to offer? Well, nothing. And so they asked Jesus, well, what, by what? source or by what supply how can we satisfy or fill all of these people that's the question that's the question and so by asking that question what they're really doing is they're just proclaiming the fact that they don't have anything they're proclaiming the fact that they are without that they cannot meet this in their own Resources. They cannot meet this within their own bank account. They cannot meet this within what they carried on them. They cannot meet this, and it is impossible for them to do it. That's what they're saying. Okay. All right. So, in other words, the only place, and I want you to think about this too, the only place where the devil can lie to people about this stuff is in a place of abundance. Okay? 
If you're poor and you know you're poor, but you're living among a bunch of poor people, but you know God's still calling you, that's all right. You don't really think about it that much. But if you're living, if you're poor and you're living in a place of, you know, among a people of abundance, you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. I say, well, what do I have to offer? All these people have all these things they can offer, and I'm sure they could have. They could have said, well, the Pharisees they can offer a lot more Bible knowledge, or they could say, oh, you know, like the scribes, they they know the scriptures better than we do, or they could say, whoever, whatever they're going to say, the rich among them, or the powerful, or the king that was there. Or even the Romans that were in power, they would they would make much better disciples. They make much better people to uh, somehow be influential and reach the world. They could have said all those things, but they didn't. They were just looking. They're saying, "All right, well, we can't do this in and of ourselves." That's okay, though. And that's really what is being highlighted here by Jesus. What's being highlighted by Jesus is that that he's a, he's a God of compassion. And love, and and he's going to take that compassion, and he is going to supply. And I guess coming to a place in our life where we just believe that is an important step. It's just a really important step when we start to really, really believe that Jesus has compassion. And I know everybody, th- you know, everybody's going to say that for God so loved the world, Andy. Well, yeah, he did. We need to believe that. For God so loved me. For God so loved you. But we need to believe that. Living our lives in that kind of half state of, well, God loves people in general, but I don't know if He loves me. Uh, that, no. No. That's that kind of zombie Christian state of being alive but dead. Because we're believing in a concept of love that Jesus has this concept of love, but we're not able to receive that as an individual. We're not able to receive that as a person and actually live in that love. You see, and there's a certain amount of death in that. There's a certain amount of death in thinking about God in terms of concepts and ideas. A certain amount of death in that, but not being able to live in it. Because there's plenty of Bible scholars that have, have lived throughout the centuries that didn't know God. They can know the Bible. They might know a lot of concepts about theology. They might know a lot of stuff, but they just didn't know God. There's Bible scholars alive today that don't know God. They'll tell you they don't know God. Now, I've listened to guys lecture, and their knowledge of the Scriptures, their knowledge of the, uh, of the language, the original languages, and all of that is just, just so fantastic. But they'll tell you flat out they really don't know God. And, and so living in that place is such a hard place. So here we have the story, the wilderness, the lonely place where they are. Disciples had seen this before, right? Yeah, let, me, let me just lay it out again. Big crowd, Jesus in a remote place, people needing to eat. Ridiculously limited supplies. Okay, that was the first time, Right? And so they asked the question, how are we supposed to feed them? That was the question. All right, so that's scenario one. Scenario two, ready? Big crowd with Jesus in a remote place, people needing to eat ridiculously limited supplies. Second time, here's the question. How are we supposed to feed them? Yeah. Yeah. You see, the bounty of Christ is always ready. And to show that, he repeats this miracle again. So you had the 5,000 fed, and here you have the 4,000, and they get fed too. And what Jesus does here, he repeats a miracle because there was a need, number one, but number two, there's a concept behind this. There's a concept about his compassion. There's a concept about his love. There's a, there's a concept about... His bounty, that it's always ready. And he takes hold of that concept and he says, all right, well, I'm going to do this thing again. I'm going to feed these people again. I'm going to feed this second group, this other, you know, we've fed the 5,000 already. I'm going to feed the 4,000. A little bit different with the parameters of what they had, but it, I'm going to feed them all. And it's going to be a miraculous thing and I'm going to show you again. I'm going to show you again that I'm a God of bounty. I'm a God 
who cares. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of love. And I'm a God who takes care of his people. I'm a God of provision. I'm going to show you again. And he does just that. He shows them again. That's exactly what happens here. And so for the second time, he does it. A miraculous feeding of thousands of people. Have you ever wondered why it happened twice? You ever think about that? Or not? No? Yes? No? Maybe? No. Okay. Yeah. And, and literally it happens twice because, I mean, the first time it was in Mark six thirty-two. This time it was Mark 8, 4. All right? And so it, it happens not that long either. It was one time it happened and then it happened again. And the lessons, and there's some individual lessons for each one, but the overall lesson has to be, and the overall lesson appears to be, that he just cares. He loves, he gives, and he's God who's got plenty. Don't worry about it. Because I don't know if you know how much food it takes to feed 5,000 people. That's a lot of food. You know, some of you come from big families. You had to feed, what, 20, 30 people, 40 people? How much food does it take to feed 40 people? It takes a lot of food. Now, multiply that. You know, you just multiply that out by 100. All right? So 100 times that amount of food is what it would take to feed 4,000 people. Right? And that's what he did. He fed all of those people with that massive amount of food, and it came out of nothing. But to him, that's nothing. It's nothing for him to do that. It's nothing for him to provide that. It's nothing for him to, to, to speak that kind of abundance over his people. But somehow, some way, somehow, we're going to have to recondition our minds toward that. Because I think sometimes we've conditioned our minds toward certain things. So, so this is the way things work. This is the way the world works. And we were conditioned in that way like when we were children. Well, when, when I was growing up, I really wasn't serving Jesus. And so my mind was conditioned about things in, in ways that don't coincide with the gospel. They don't coincide with the revelation of Jesus. They don't coincide with the revelation that he's brought and the things that he did and the miracles that he performed. It, it's not conditioned that way. And so if I'm going to live in that kind of an abundance, if I'm going to live in that kind of an expectation, if I'm going to live in the miraculous then there has to be something that happens in my mind to recondition my mind toward the miraculous. Because if I'm not naturally that way, which I don't think most of us are, I don't think most of us grew up conditioned in our mind toward the miraculous, whether we were brought up in church or not. I don't know that churches do anybody any favors conditioning their minds toward the miraculous. In fact, I think a lot of times churches trying to keep people from having too big expectations and getting disappointed may, in fact, work against our minds being conditioned toward the miraculous as a favor to us. But I don't really believe that's much of a favor. Because I think the real, the real issue is, is that we need to really re retool the way we're going to see things, the way we're going to understand things, the way we're going to move forward into things. Now, we have to be willing for that to happen. God doesn't impose a different way of thinking on us. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12, it says to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so this idea of our minds being changed, we're part of that. We're part of the process of that. We're part of the transformation process. We're part of the renewing process in our minds to change how we're going to see things and how we're going to think about things and how we're going to experience things. And so I want to encourage you toward that tonight. I want to encourage you toward that, that change of mind. Because uh, you, you think about the disciples, and as I said before, they're with Jesus. They're with Jesus right now. In, in this part of his ministry, and they're seeing all of these miracles happening all around them. They're seeing, you know, the, the dead raised. They're seeing the lame walk. They're seeing the blind see. They're seeing the deaf hear, the mute being able to speak. They're watching demons being cast out of people. This is what they're seeing. They're seeing crooked bodies being straightened out. 
People that have been paralyzed, picking up their mats and walking away. That's what they're witnessing. This is something they are seeing as part of their lives. This is, a, like, this is just a, a weekly thing, a, 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 a very common thing that they're seeing and they're, they're participating in. But even though they're participating in it, even though they're seeing it, even though they're hearing it, even though they're a part of all of it, when it comes down to the moment of crisis, they don't know what to do. Because something hadn't changed in their mind yet. Something hadn't changed in the way they were reacting to things and the way that they were seeing things. Something hadn't been changed in the way that they were going to be able to see their world and begin to really experience new expectations in their life. They weren't doing that. They were still moving in the same mode that they were moving in before. They'd been called as fishermen. They'd been called as whatever they were. And they were still in many ways just still moving in that. And this was something that I believe God was doing, I believe Jesus was doing in their life to change them. And I think He used this feeding. And I really believe that this is something, this is a turning point for them. I believe this feeding was a turning point in, in their ministry, in their life, in the way that they were going to see things. And they are going to see themselves in relationship to God. Because you had all the miracles that were taking place. You had all those things that they had already seen, they had already experienced. Well, Jesus is about to do the same thing again. Again. And there's something about eating. Right? We all eat. You know, some of us eat more than others. Some of us eat less than others. Some of us eat more often than others. Less often, whatever. We all eat. Some of us like sweet food. Some of us like savory food. Some of us like meat. Some of us like pie. Alright? And that's just how it is. But we're all going to eat. And so it's a common experience for every single one of us. You know, it's like when you know, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they got thirsty. Well, what's something we all do? We all drink. We all need water. And so when God produced water out of a rock, there's a moment for them to see that and see that provision. And as God was providing food for them throughout the wilderness, I was reading in Deuteronomy and in Deuteronomy, it's talking about how God humbled the children of Israel by keeping them in the wilderness for all of those years, 40 years. And part of the humbling process is that they were going to eat manna. And that would be just something that God would give them every day, and then, or six days a week. And, and that they would have to depend on Him and on His provision every single day. Every morning, they would have to depend on that provision. And they'd go out, and they could gather enough for the day, but that was it. Because the next morning, they would have to depend on that provision. Every day but the Sabbath. Eating is something that we all have in common. And God used the manna, according to Deuteronomy, He used that manna to humble them. Humble them how? By making them dependent on Him. That every morning they had to recognize He's the provider. Every morning they had to recognize we can't produce this ourselves. Every morning they had to thank Him for providing them with something to eat, sustenance so they could eat and they could be filled that day in the middle of the wilderness in a lonely place, an inhospitable place. That was the place that God chose. I'm going to humble these people how is he going to do it? Through food. And so here we have this lonely place. Here we have this wilderness experience. These people are hungry. How in the world are we ever going to find enough food for these people? How? They're going to have to turn to Jesus. Because they're not going to do it in their own strength. They're not going to do it in their own smarts. They're not going to do it in their own provision. They're not going to do it in their own, their, through their own resources. They have got to turn to Him. And He puts them in that position. He does it the first time. He shows them what He can do. He puts them in the position a second time. And I believe this is a time, this is a moment of teaching. This isn't a moment of revelation. They'd already seen this. This isn't a moment of, I'm going to show you something new. They'd already seen it. 
What he was doing was he's showing him something, but not so much as, oh, that's a neat trick he just did. He's showing him something. This is more than just a one-time thing. This, and I want you to hear me, this is a way of life. To live in this kind of humility in your life. And I believe that is the key. You go back to Deuteronomy. You look at the manna. You look at the wilderness. You come forward into the gospel. You look at the wilderness. You look at the food that's being provided here. I believe humility is the key to releasing this. And I believe humility is the key for us changing and and reconditioning our minds toward the miraculous. I just really believe that. And so this bounty is ready. It's ready. The miraculous is ready. It's ready. And and I want you to think about this too. And this this is a good point. Do you think it's possible? I mean, the disciples probably didn't just forget totally, right? Like they had seen it already. But do you think some of them may have thought, well, maybe it's presumptuous of me to think that he'll do it again. Do you think maybe they thought that? But it's not. It's not presumptuous. In fact, it's what needed to happen. And so whatever wherever that comes from, that idea, and it must come from an attitude of limited resources or something. That, well, I'm, I'm, presum- I'm presuming on God, presuming on God that he's going to do this again. No, he is going to do this again. He, and, and that miraculous is going to be released again, and that miraculous is going to happen again. All right? and, and I believe that's part of what Jesus is teaching them. And he, he's, he's really striking down this idea of us thinking, oh, well, we're just presuming on God. You're not presuming on God. How many loaves and fishes does God have in his supply? How many? Endless. Endless. So the first time he does it, you got a bunch of baskets left over, of, of leftovers, right? So not only was there enough for everyone to eat and be filled, there was even baskets left over. That's how much abundance there was in what he did in that miracle. That was the abundance of that. It was in all the leftovers and all the things that were left over. So the second time we're coming through, oh, well, I don't want to presume that he's just going to do that same miracle again. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. There's no presumption because how many more loaves and fishes does he have? As many as you need, right? And there's going to be leftovers. He doesn't care. He's got plenty. You need it? He's got it. You needed it the first time, he had it then, and he showed you the excess after the first time. All right, you come to the second time. Why would you jump to the presumption thought? I don't know. Get rid of it. Get rid of the presumption thought. Because he's got plenty. He's got plenty this time too. And not only does he have enough to fill everybody, there's even leftovers. Again. And you know what? If it needed to take place a third time, how many loaves and fish does he have the third time? Lots. Don't worry about it. He's got plenty. All right, let's do this again. All right, let's do it again. You know, there's been times in my life where I, 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 things will happen, where I get an unlimited supply of something for an amount of time. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, I've got, like, this really disgusting green stuff. I told you about this, right, when it was going on. Do you guys remember? I don't know if you remember this. But I got this algae. I take algae, but it's kind of expensive. And so I have this algae, and... Uh, it's got it's a black bottle, so I can't see. I really can't see the bottom of it, right? Especially around here because it's dark all the time. But I, I put a scooper in. I just come up, and and it's got some in it, so I put it in my thing, and then I go on. Well, I know it's empty because I'm, I'm. You can shake it until it's empty. So I just every day I'll just keep putting my scooper in until there's none left. And what day is that? I don't know what day that is, but I'm just gonna keep. I won't even order any. I won't order any new stuff. I won't do anything. I just keep putting my scooper in, throwing it into my shake in the morning, and I just keep going. When do I stop? I don't. I just keep doing it. Put my scooper in, put it in there. Yeah. Yeah, I just kept going. And I don't know how many months I did that for. 
I can't even tell you how many months that was. In fact, I, I wanted to tell somebody, because I knew it sounded crazy, but I wanted to tell somebody so that you guys would know it's still going, right? And there came a day where I put the scooper in and there wasn't anything in it, and it was done. It was done. But you know what? There were months and months where I put that scooper into that empty bottle every day, and guess what came out? Green, disgusting algae that I put into my shake, and I drank it. Now, was that presumptuous? Nope. I don't think so. He did it once. Great. I put it in there. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's just keep going. And I, and I want to encourage you to get rid of that idea of presumption. He's a God of, of endless supply. He is a God who does the miraculous. And He's got plenty of supply to back up the miraculous in our lives. Plenty of supply. He can do it. He can do it. And so I, I just want to encourage you toward that. Let that be a part of that reformation. Let that be a part of that re conditioning in your mind to get rid of that whole idea of presumption because it's that idea of presumption I think sometimes that keeps us from just keep moving in faith. Do you see what I'm saying? Because you just come to that point like, well, I don't want to presume on anything. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and, and presume that God loves you. Go ahead and presume that God is looking out for you. Go ahead and presume that God supplies your need. Go ahead and presume that He is Yahweh Jireh, that He's enough. And He's always enough. And that's always in the present tense. Enough of what? Whatever you need. Go ahead. And make those kind of presumptions. It's okay. Because as that becomes faith in our lives, it tells us and it speaks to us about that God who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us. So you think about His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His supply, His bounty, and His provision. You think about all those things. I'm going to say those again. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, those are big ones. His supply, whatever He supplies, His bounty, His provision over your life are renewed. They're renewed. Just as your needs are. Your needs are renewed, right? Those of you that are homeowners or, you know, somehow have some kind of uh, responsibility, what comes in the mail or in your email every month? It's a new bill, right? <laughs> Whatever that is. Electricity, you know. I mean, you think about National Grid, they're going to get their cut, right? You know. You got you got National Grid out there getting their cut. You got the water people getting their cut. You you got the you got all these people you got tax people getting their cut. You got the mortgage people getting their cut. So your needs are renewed, right? Well, so it's His grace, mercy, forgiveness, supply, bounty, and provision. They're all renewed. Like like that's what I was saying about think about the manna. That's a forty-year lesson. That's a 40-year lesson that they live through, but we have the benefit of. 40 years. They wake up every morning. Well, I'm kind of hungry. You ever wake up hungry? I wake up hungry. Yeah. So, all right, well, then what happens when you wake up hungry? You go out and you gather some manna. You cook that up and you eat. Where's the manna come from? God supplies that manna. Well, well so, all right, well, if I'm hungry... And my hunger is renewed every day, so well, so is the manna. It's renewed every day. And so apply that to whatever you want to apply that to. You want to apply, apply that to His supply, His bounty over your life. Well, yeah, the bills keep coming. Well, His provision is, is renewed. But then you think about you know, some of the more spiritual things in your life. You think about grace and mercy and forgiveness. Well, yeah, His mercy, and the Bible talks about you know, His mercies, they're, they're new, right? What does the Bible say? Every morning. Why? Because, <laughs> because you're a jerk. Yeah, yeah. You see, your need for mercy <laughs> is renewed every day, so He renews His mercy every day. Right? 
You know, I don't mean that. I didn't mean that personally to anybody, you know. Or maybe I did, but not individually. I just meant it, I just meant it in general. Because we've got the human condition. And we're all part of that. And so, you, you think about the spiritual side of this is that, well, His grace is renewed every day. Why? Because our need for His grace is renewed every day. His forgiveness is renewed every day. Why? Because we mess up every day. Because we need forgiveness every day. That's why. And so He renews that every day. Alright, let's start moving more into the miraculous. Start moving into... I mean, we're still in the spiritual realm. You follow me? You got... You got grace, you got mercy, you got forgiveness. That's spiritual. Well, let's move into the miraculous. Let's move into the supply. Let's move into some of the other areas. It's like, well, all right, well, why would his miraculous supply renew every day? Because we've got needs every day. Because our, our needs don't end. Because we, we have things that we need. We have things that need to be paid. We have things that need to be taken care of. And so those things renew every day. And they never run out. They never run out. Now, I can't speak specifically to a lesson that God's teaching you. I can't. I don't know what that lesson is. I have no idea. But I do know He's got plenty. He's got plenty. You know, we in June are kind of in a weird spot right now where we got more bills than we got money. Right? You probably relate to that, right? Yeah. And so sometimes that happens. And and it could be an emergency or it could be, you know, whatever it is that takes place that, that brings that about, but it just got brought about and here we are. And it's like, all right, well, there's my need. Well, I know his supply is renewed every day. I know that. I know that his provision is renewed every day. And what really it comes down to is we need not fear want. We need not fear want in our lives. You know, back when I first became a Christian, I had a, a friend that moved pretty heavily in the prophetic. And God had done a work in his heart, in his life, and in his mind. And he had reconditioned his mind toward the miraculous. And I used to watch him, and I'd listen to him, and he sometimes was kind of frustrating to listen to, because he, because he just spoke in faith all the time. And and it was it was kind of interesting that, you know, I'm I'm really a, a pretty practical person most of the time. I got to just think things through, or you know, everything seems pretty practical to me. But I learned some big lessons about God from this guy, because in, in my lack. And he'd always say this to me. He'd always say, stop living in that lack. And I knew what he meant. I mean, God's people sometimes live in lack. You know, like they, they live without everything, you know, being topped off and at 100% or whatever. I mean, that's just part of life. But what he was talking to me about was the attitude of lack. Of just being in that kind of place where, oh, I guess this is just life. Well, sometimes it is. But not all the time. And and he would he would constantly speak to me. He's like, I, you know, whether or not you, your bank account is full or empty, you need to live in some abundance in your life. And, and stop being ruled by what's in the ledger book. And so that was a big lesson for me. So I promptly stopped doing the ledger and had June do that from then on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, though. That's the truth. I stopped looking at the numbers. And I started living in an abundance. In my heart, in my spirit. And I started re-educating and, and reconditioning my mind toward the miraculous. Because I made a decision. I wanted to be more like that than more like I was. We don't need to fear want in our life. We have Christ to live upon by faith. See, the problem is, though, in times of stress, prior miracles that God's done are in danger of being forgotten when we get under stress. 
that we start living in this kind of stressed out mentality, worry mentality, anxiety mentality. We start living in that and it's one just awful thing to the next or whatever's in our brain. We, we tend to forget or at least put in danger of forgetting the miracles that God's done in our life. We just forget about His provision or we're in danger. They start fading away about how He, how he provides or how He supplies or, or how He meets our needs or, and how He's done these things in the past. Just kind of fade away a little bit. And, and I wonder if maybe a little of that was happening with the disciples too. Here they were, 4,000 people need to eat, stress, anxiety, we don't have anything. We got nothing to give these people. We're bad hosts. What are we going to do? Maybe that other feeding of the 5,000 started to fade out a little bit because they're being overwhelmed by the moment. And all I can do is encourage you that the moment is never as bad as it seems or as good as it seems. It's just somewhere in the middle. Nothing's ever as bad as it seems. Nothing's ever as good as it seems either. It just is what it is. And if we can live with a certain amount of balance in our life, we can live with a certain amount of balance in our spirit, we can allow for and we can live in, as we re-educate, as we recondition our minds toward the miraculous, we can live in a better expectation for abundance in our lives. I mean, those disciples had every opportunity to learn from the first time and know exactly what to do the second time, but they didn't. For whatever reason. And so Jesus repeated it again. And I think it's pretty good if disciples picked up on this the second time. Because it took 40 years of manna to teach the Israelites and to humble them. 40 years. There had to be a whole generation that was born and that's all they knew. That's all they knew. Was eating manna. So all they knew was getting up and God supplying their food every single day. That's all they knew. It took 40 years to raise up a generation of people. To raise up a generation of people that were going to live that out. 40 years. Every day. Every day. So if the disciples picked this up, and I believe they did, I believe this is a turning point for the disciples, they picked this up the second time, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And we get to learn from this, right? We get the benefit of seeing them go, go all like, well, what do we do? Getting all caught in the moment, all caught up in anxiety, all caught up in fear, all caught up in, in whatever was happening around them. We get the benefit of seeing that, seeing that panic, and like, well, what, are we, what in the world are we going to do? We get to see that. But we get to learn from that and think to ourselves, okay, next time that happens, like, well, have I ever been in this situation before? Yeah, I mean, think about that for a second. How many things, how many situations can you ask that in? You're facing some kind of crisis. You're facing some kind of circumstance in your life. You're facing something. And you think to yourself, have I ever been in this situation before? Guess what? Probably, yeah. Something like it. Close enough. And in a situation where God provided, or a situation where God came through, or a situation where God healed, or a situation where God uh, showed up in mercy, or a situation where somebody's heart or life or decision or whatever changed right in front of your eyes. Something happened. That situation. Apply that now. So you got the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity to learn from these guys' mistake, from these guys not even being able to, to, to hold on to, in that time of stress, the prior miracles that they had seen and they had experienced. Because you know what? Each new difficulty in our lives seems like insurmountable, insurmountable or seems impossible. That's called drama. Right? That's called drama. That each new difficulty seems like it's insurmountable. That's drama. Oh, this is impossible. This is no, no human being has ever faced these kind of hardships before, ever. That's drama. 
That is drama. Stop it. Stop it. Because drama, in that sense of the word, drama interferes with your faith and life in the miraculous. It does. And, and we have to re-educate ourselves. And so I want to encourage you toward that re-education tonight. I want to encourage you toward that, that reconditioning of your mind toward the miraculous. So you don't find yourself in this situation like the disciples were in just every time a crisis occurs. Every time something happens in your life that you, know, that, that you just stress out and you forget or you're in danger of forgetting what God has done in the past, what God does, who He is and what He does and, and all the rest of that kind of stuff so that we're not living like that in those ups and downs and, and those crises and, and stress and all the rest of those kind of things, but being able to live in a calm, peaceful place of simple faith. And that's what it is. Of I've seen this before. I know who Jesus is. It's going to calm down. And let's re-educate Let's reform, let's recondition our minds toward the miraculous that we've seen before. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've heard it. You've tasted it. You've touched it. It's touched you. And so let's recondition our minds toward that. You don't have to be shocked every time God does a miracle. You can be thankful. You can worship. You can shout. You can be excited, but you don't have to be surprised. He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. You know, this last time I was in Florida, I was painting a house. This would be all I'm going to say. Uh, I was painting a house. And it's a rainy season right now in that part of Florida. And so what happens is every afternoon, just about, every afternoon, you get the wind picks up, in the middle of the afternoon, it gets cloudy, and then it rains. That's what happens. Just about every day, that's what happens. And, and so, it's always surprising to me, people talk about it. I wonder if it's going to rain today. <laughs> I mean, they do. They literally, this conversation. You think it's going to rain today? Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think it rains every day. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it rains every day. It's the rainy season. That's what happens. Okay? That's what happens. And so when I was down there, the first day, first full day of painting, I was painting, and it got to be about 3.30 in the afternoon, and the wind kicked up. That's about when it rains. And then it got cloudy. <laughs> And then, uh, and then it rained, because it rains every day. And that's not a shocker. But the next day, I was painting. I know two days later, I was painting, and I needed to finish because it was my last day there. And about three thirty, the wind kicked up, and it got cloudy. And I just I prayed a simple prayer. I said, no rain today. No rain. And I received that as as God's son. There's going to be no rain. I just received it. And so for the rest of the day, it was cloudy. And that wind was blowing. And it may have rained somewhere, but it didn't rain on me. And all I want to say with that is that we shouldn't... There's two sides to that story. One is God is a miracle-working God. And, and, and that day, I had no doubt in my heart, no doubt in my mind it wasn't going to rain. I mean, and maybe you've had those moments in your life where you just know, and it's done, and that's the end of the story. Well, that was the end of the story. The guy I was working with, he mentioned something about it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to rain. 
I had to go to the paint store even, get more paint. And they said, well, I hope it doesn't rain on you. I'm like, it's not going to rain. <laughs> Just a matter of fact, I'm like, it's not going to rain. Well, okay. All right. And it didn't rain. Let's, let's live that. All right? Yeah, I want you to, wherever you're at right now, if you think about something in your life. And I know we got some people here living by faith. I know that. And, and I want you to think about something in your life. I'm going to think about three things in my life right now. Three things that I'm going to pray and believe God for miraculous provision for. All right, so I'm going to ask my miracle for tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to be for a miracle provision. And maybe you got a healing you need to believe for. Maybe there's something else. Maybe somebody you're praying for needs to be healed, and, and you want to just believe that and let that, let that go. But I'm going to pray that God reconditions our minds toward living in the miraculous. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that uh, you'd help us because I pray that there would just be a shift in our minds, that we'd be transformed tonight by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. That the, the old ways and the ways that we've been taught and the ways that we've been conditioned to think, the ways that we've been conditioned to react, the ways that we've been conditioned to see the world, the way that we've been conditioned to see ourselves, I pray, God, that there be a retooling and a renewing of our minds in those areas. And that as our minds are renewed, you would begin to change some of those areas. You begin to change some of the ways that we see things. You begin to change some of the ways that we experience things, some of the ways that we define things, some of the ways that, that we experience life. That, that our brain, that our mind, our thinking would be reconditioned, that our mind would, would, would be reworked to begin to live in the miraculous, to begin to live in the impossible by natural means. That God would wake up every day for our manna. We'd wake up every day for that provision. We'd wake up every day in humility knowing that we need You. And I pray that that humility in us would release a faith to see the miraculous happen. Got a humility that says, I can't do this. A humility that says, I don't have the means in and of myself to do this. The humility that says, I don't have the provision to do this. The humility that is in us that just says, I don't have whatever's needed to see this happen. God, I need you. And I pray that you would release that miraculous, in our lives. Just want to live in it. Just want to live in it. Want to live in it. When we see the next situation come up that we'd remember. We've seen this before. We've seen you move before. We've seen your hand move before. We've seen whatever it is that we need. We've seen it happen. We've been healed. We've been delivered. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered. We've, we've received provision before, miraculously, out of nowhere. You came through. You've done it. You do it. You have a bounty that you're ready to release. Always ready to release. We just live in that. So God, I give you thanks. I give you thanks that you put us into situations where we, we, faith is possible. Where faith is life. And I just ask that God, we would encourage, as David did, we encourage ourselves. We'd remember. We would live in. We would participate in the miraculous that you are. Give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks. I just want you to just, whatever it is, that I, and I encourage you to think of something. Did I start praying? I just want to encourage you to believe God for that right now. I've seen this before. 
seen this before. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to live in anxiety. I'm not going to live in fear. You are able. And you've done this before. I've seen this before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying, Amen. Amen.